This is I Hate the Fins. I don't remember what number episode this is. I've completely lost track. But the important thing is we're with the Finsider Radio Podcast Network. Happy to be a part of it. My name is Keith. I'm your usual host. I'm joined by Zach, my usual co-host. This is our first show of the new year, 2020. Uh, welcome. Thank you again. I have a lot to talk about. A lot that's gone on since Sunday, which is when we last recorded. Monday was a big day for the Dolphins. It was more than Victory Monday. It was a surprising afternoon, I'd say, for most people. Uh, Chad O'Shea, Dolphins offensive coordinator, did, I thought, pretty good work with the wide receivers this year. Uh, evidence of that. Devontae Parker, fifth in what receiving yards this year? Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely took it to Stefan Gilmore, who is the best corner in the league in the last game, a game the Patriots needed. It's not like they were out there just running their scrubs because they didn't they didn't have a point in being there. They did, and they lost. And Parker was a big reason for that. I mean, he took Stefan Gilmore's lunch money, as he did to a lot of corners this year. So anyway, Chad O'Shea, uh, a lot of people had an issue with the run game, though. He kept hearing about not enough commitment to the run game, didn't like how it was implemented, so on and so forth. So Monday afternoon comes around, and Chad O'Shea is out, which is surprise news. And he's not the only one. Um, we now need a new offensive line coach. Uh, we need a new safety coach, right? Yeah, yeah, new defensive backs coach. Well, I guess the safeties. I, I was going to say, I thought that it was um, specific to safeties. Um, am I missing anything? No, I think it was just those three. I don't think that there was anybody else. Okay. So Brian Flores, um, clearly not someone who's just going to keep his friends around for the sake of friendship. But then things get weird because you start seeing all of these uh, rumors that the reason they bumped Chad O'Shea was because Jerry Shaplinsky. I think I'm saying his name correctly. It's uh, um, me. Nah, whatever. No, no, no. Josh mishandles is likely going to get a head coaching job. I have no idea how in the hell that happens after what he pulled with Indianapolis a couple of years ago. But he's he's up for it, and he he wants to jump ship for now. And the rumor was they thought the Dolphins were greasing O'Shea so they could promote Shaplinsky or however in the hell you say his name to keep him away from Josh McDaniel's grubby hands as he builds his own staff so he can inevitably leave them at the altar when he decides that he wants to go back to Palpatine Belichick. So that was the rumor. And then New Year's Eve comes around and Chan Gailey is the hire. Was it New Year's? Was it New Year's Eve or New Year's Day? Mm, I can't remember. This I just, don't remember at this point either. I think it, I think it was New Year's Day. I think yeah. now that I think about it, this, this whole week has just completely congealed into one big blob. And the last two weeks have actually, but anyway, Chan Gailey, not old by people years, he's sixty-seven, yep. but sixty-seven is considerable in football years, especially when there are head coaches running around out there who aren't even in their mid-thirties now. Zach Taylor is. Can Zach Taylor drive? Uh, I think he can at this point. Can he drink though? But can he drink? Yeah. Sean McVay is still young. I think Sean McVay is like a year, year and a half younger than me, which is insane. 
because when he got hired, I think I was 32, which made him 30. Um, what do you think? Because, I mean, Jan Gailey has done a good job of building offenses around the talent he has. You said it today, and I love this term, spready. He's a spready guy. What in the hell are we going to do with him? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think we'll see uh, a little bit more. Ah, we, we ran a relatively open offense this year. Um, I don't know. It's just hard to put your finger on exactly what's going to happen. Um, and going back statistically, the results from Chan Gailey's offenses isn't spectacular. Um, no. You know, yards and points wise, typically they're not the worst, but they're not the best. Um, I think the best year was that 2015 Jets year, um, which is funny because wasn't that the the big yeah. Fitzpatrick year? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, but like Fitzpatrick isn't obviously your long term answer. So I don't I don't know what you're shooting for there. Um, but otherwise, his offense typically like yards and points wise falls somewhere between 15th, 16th, and like 24th and 25th. Um, so it's not like he's had a track record of having outstanding offense. Um, so, I mean, he had a better track record in the, the late 90s there, but the NFL ain't in the late 90s no more. No. No, 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 no. Um, a lot of people think this is going to benefit the run game. I I hope so. I'll... I'll give him the benefit of the doubt just because Brian Flores has been right thus far. Um, I don't blame him for cleaning things up uh, in terms of offensive line coaching because our offensive line was just complete shit this year when you really get down to it. Now, a lot of that is personnel and the fact that you're mixing guys who are either rookies or guys who were never really that good guys who are okay. I Kilgore Kilgore's okay. Kilgore isn't the guy I don't think I don't think he's gonna be he's not the future. I hope not. I mean no offense to him. Jesse Davis, I think we've got a right tackle there. Michael Dieter was I mean lost for most of the year, but I don't know what they expected him to do. I mean the the guy he's playing with who's probably the most savvy in terms of being a vet would be Kilgore. Yeah, and I mean so they didn't provide a left tackle this year, so no, 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 no. And I, I saw some people trying to buy into Julian Davenport. Just stop it. No. Stop it. Just stop. Um Yeah. So I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill Dieter for that. I like Dieter. I'm biased because I like Wisconsin offensive linemen. And it's rare when they're they're not any good. Like I can think of a couple of guys. You know, we, we've talked about Gabe Karimi on the show. The fact that, I mean, John Moffat just didn't want to play. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted to smoke weed. Wasn't that his thing? Yeah, but that's fine. I mean, that's fine. <laughs> but I think that was, he was, I think, no, in terms of guys who had an issue with the, the league stance toward marijuana, I think John Moffat was quite vocal yeah. in that group, if I recall correctly. And then uh, Peter Kahn's is the other guy. That that pretty much left side of that 2010, and I think Cons played in 2011. But that Wisconsin offensive line was quite disappointing. But you think about the right side of that offensive line, I think it was Zeitler and Ricky Wagner, and those dudes are still playing at a high level. So, and second contract guys. Yep. 
which is kind of the judge there. They got paid. Zeidler definitely got paid. And Wagner, Wagner's in Detroit now, I think. But I mean, like he was a surprise when he was in Baltimore previously. I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He was Baltimore. Yeah. yeah anyway, we're rambling. I'm rambling. Uh, Dieter, I'm not going to hold it against them. They need to get a solidified left tackle, which brings me to my next topic. You uh, mentioned this today. You called me. I was on on the road. Alex Leatherwood, who is Alabama's left tackle, which in some ways he's kind of their right tackle because they have things constructed to protect left-handed Tua Tagovailoa's blind side. Alex Leatherwood's going back to Alabama, which was a surprise because he was like a what considered like a late one. Ish. Yeah, I think most people had him kind of late one, pretty solid second round guy. Yeah, yeah. He's going back and it's got people thinking is because Tua made the announcement yesterday that he's going to, he made the announcement that he's going to announce on January 6th what he's going to do, which I I thought about this at the time, but I didn't think too much of it. But a lot of people are pissed off about the fact that it's just like, dude, just announce it. Don't make an announcement that you're going to announce. Like, don't set a date for it. Just do it. But the fact that he's doing that makes me think that he might be going back to Alabama. And we saw the rumors. I I want to give credit to the people who have said that in the event that it's true. Your sources were correct. Yeah. And there are a lot, of, a lot of Dolphins insiders. There are a lot of people who claim they're Dolphins insiders on Dolphins Twitter. There are a couple where if they say something, all right, maybe. So I can't think of the names right now. There are three or four who have been putting this out there. So I want to give credit because it's sure as hell not us. No. I mean, like we're, we're just a couple of jackasses who make stuff up. And when we are right, it makes us look halfway intelligent. Yeah. I mean, but, the, the other thing we talked about when it came to Leatherwood going back is, is nobody else outside of... Um, uh, Smith Smith said he's going back for sure. Dylan Moses is now caught up in some weird insurance policy legal stuff that may force him into the draft, but he was originally going back. Um, Jerry Judy gets no benefit from going back, so we assume he's going to go pro, but he hasn't said anything. Um, and then I remember Henry Ruggs before the game when they were interviewing him, um, he essentially said like, I don't know, uh, this is the last game of the season and that's all I know. We'll see where it goes from there. Um, so, I mean, the, the dominoes just keep falling that dudes are saying that they're going back and two is put out there that, you know, he's going to make an announcement on the six where I don't see a reason for him to say uh, on the sixth that he's going to the NFL at this point, like with his injury, unless he has miraculously healed in like record time and he's on track to participate at the combine, like you ride that out to the 20th or whatever the deadline is. Um, so, I mean, the pieces are just looking as they're going to fall that, uh, Bama is going to try to get the band back together and go for another playoff run next year, um, which I can understand. So it feels like it. So yeah, I, I haven't heard too much about rugs. Everything Judy said yesterday, I made it sound like he's out, Yep. but I don't know. And I mean, that would, oh man, that would suck because I'm such a huge fan of that guy in terms of his skill set and everything. Ruggs, 
Ruggs is a, is a speedster. I love watching him play. Um, I keep talking about the fact, and I've seen a couple of people put out there that Denver's an ideal place for him, and I agree with that because I think they should pair him with Cortland Sutton. I think that mm-hmm. would be a pretty kick-ass one-two punch. Uh, Devontae Smith, and I've said this before, I thought he was their best receiver this season. Yep. And that's not to say I don't think he's their best player. I think, you know, obviously, I think Jerry Judy's the, where's the crown in that in that receiver core? But Devontae Smith, which it seemed like every game, especially when they needed a big play, it seemed like number six was the guy doing it. And then Jalen Wilde's the sophomore. Yep. So you have, to, you have to expect, I mean, it's different for Najee Harris. I think Najee Harris needs to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, like his his stock is high. He was a bull during that that bull game. I mean, no offense to Michigan. It's not ultra impressive, in my opinion, when you're bulldozing Michigan. But he did what he needed to do. So Leatherwood stays. Jet is Jedrick Wills is a junior, right? Yes. Okay. He is an interesting case because you can make the case right now that no player on that squad has is going to have more hype behind his draft stock than Jedrick Wills. Yeah, I mean, but that's also based on just draft internet right now. It's who knows. Well, that's why yeah, I said hype. Yeah, so I mean, so if if he he could be hearing something totally different from more reliable in uh front office kind of guys. So, but I I think he's probably he's probably in a spot like um Najee Harris at this point that you're at the best point that you're probably going to get to. So you might as well take advantage of it. Yeah. Things get weird if all those guys go back, yeah. especially, I mean, and, and that's not even considering the, the Tua angle for Miami. Although we always knew that this was possible. And I thought it, it became more possible yeah. when he got hurt because I think he's a proud dude. I don't think he's going to look at that program and say like, ah, you know, I had a good run and everything. I took over at the 11th hour in the national championship and totally shit all over Georgia. Um, and Mel Tucker going man coverage on what was it like second and 36 or something? Yeah. Um, what are you doing, Mel? And uh, oh, I still think about that game. And I, Devontae Smith, I think, was the guy who caught the touchdown in that game, right? Yep. I think he was. Yeah, yeah he was. Um, okay, I think so. Thought so. Because uh, I know Calvin Ridley is the one who caught the 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 game-tying touchdown in that game. Yep. So, oh man, Calvin Ridley. Love that man. So anyway, uh, let's take a second here and think if two is out, let's assume he's out. Let's say Judy's in. And now that that front or that first five in the draft we know who the first two guys are going to be unless something really weird happens and the, the Redskins get all red skinsy on us. It's going to go Burrow and then Chase Young. And then you got the real wild card in all this, which is Detroit, because Detroit could, I mean, Derek Brown is a popular pick. I've seen Jeffrey Okuda would be probably best player available in, in terms of a lot of draft boards, not your draft board, of course. Yeah. Uh, and then the Giants, in some ways, you feel like they take who Detroit does not. Yep. Because, I mean, like, they, they have, I think, some similar needs. So if you're Miami and you're sitting at five, what would you do? 
I mean, like, and not even thinking of like who falls to you. Like, is there a target in mind? Do you just go best player available? Uh, you had a great theory earlier, and I think you have to imagine that it's on the table for Miami. You want to talk about that? Um, I- I'm guessing we're talking about uh, the for sale sign on that pick then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, uh, it all kind of comes down to the real for sale sign happens at three with Detroit. Um, if if Tua isn't available and somebody wants to secure a QB for sure, um, moving to three is your best bet. Um, and at that point, I'm guessing somebody would be moving to three for Justin Herbert. Um, good for them. Um, but so if Detroit just picks, if, you know, I'm sure the Giants will put a for sale sign up at that point. Um, and if it gets to Miami and they're not sold on trying to take Herbert, but somebody behind them is, you could see them trade out and just say, they could just say, hey, like, look, Herbert's not the the build that we're looking for, um, especially Chan Gailey's off- offense that they're trying to roll out here is not, you don't need a huge arm or anything for, you don't need a, a, a Herbert or an Eason or whatever. Um, you can from your way to happiness at that point. Um, so they could, they could put up a for sale sign too. If, you know, if Carolina wants to jump um, the chargers, if the chargers want to bump up one, if somebody wants to bump up over both of them, um, I think that's definitely a possibility um, just because at that point, again, five is five is a spot where you, there's a lot of guys that the Dolphins could take, but you'd kind of potentially put a question on the value. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of guys where, you know, we talked about last year with Cleveland Farrell going at four. Is Was that a little high for Cleveland Farrell? Yeah, probably. Yes. But but like at the end of the day, like, could, could you understand it? Yeah. So there's going to be plenty of guys like that, too, in the, the Dolphins range at five. Can I ask you a random question? Yep. Should they have taken Cleveland Farrell over Josh Allen? Mm. I mean, I I don't know if Josh Allen because I feel like Josh Allen they would have put his hand in the dirt and that's that's just not who he is. He's done better. Again, he he's more of that long overhang Sam player. Uh, we actually talked about this with um, Washington taking Chase Young um, that they may do this with Montez Sweat in a, a forefront scheme. Um, so. It's hard to say. I just don't think he would have fit as well um, as he did with that role in uh, Jacksonville. Yeah. It seems like Jacksonville's scheme is a little more flexible. I, I mean, if you're taking uh, Cleveland Farrell where they did, I mean, he had stupid length. He's got, what, like a 6'10 wingspan? Yeah, yeah. At 6'4", so I mean, dumb length, uh, first step, quickness. Yeah. I mean, like, check all the boxes in terms of pass rush um optics yep and i mean you're banking you're banking on the upside i mean i mean it's a risk i'm sure draft dad and gruden would be the first people to admit that but um i I don't know i'm just looking at this draft and and actually getting back to that for a second we talked about washington earlier with that pure alabama interior of allen and deron Payne. Mm mm-hmm and we've made the joke before, I think, that Washington gets all the, the top name um, Alabama defensive linemen. And then Detroit takes the second guy, like Ashawn Robinson. I think Deshaun Hands there still. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, um, I don't I don't know. 
what I would do there because I mean they need we mentioned they need a left tackle there's a decent chance the top guy on your board is going to be there at five so maybe you just do away with that right there or maybe you value the defensive side of the football early on and you agree that I, I'm talking about them you agree that you're sort of punting not punting on the 2021 class oh yeah you know so i mean maybe you look maybe jeff okuda makes it to five you don't know you don't know what the hell is we didn't even mention the the x mess yeah monday and kind of come to think of it monday was a messy day for the dolphins after i mean 24 hours after such a incredible feeling of winning in foxborough for the first time in 11 season or 11 years um and then Xavier Howard, I mean, I'm sure people listening to this already know what happened there. The, I mean, technically it's a DV mm-hmm. and uh, not good, not good at all. And it seems just incredibly stupid what went down. I remember just reading it like eight or nine times and thinking, what in the hell? Yeah, over a lot of nothing at the end of the day. Oh, so, so senseless. And, but, Anyway, so we don't know the future of the corner position here. So, I mean, that was a really long way of saying Okuda. I mean, you can't rule him out. Um, I mean, you have to feel like you feel good enough about the interior position where you're not really thinking about Derek Brown. Maybe you get real outside the box with Isaiah Simmons, which would be pretty cool, especially because for a guy who is multiple, you know, Brian Flores likes the multiples. Yep. So... I don't know. I mean, it's such a with Tua out of there, it becomes such a wide open conversation that it's almost maddening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we sure as shit aren't considering hopefully Herbert at that point because, whew, he he did not look good versus Wisconsin. Can we talk about can talk about that for a second? Because he he had what three touchdowns on the ground yesterday. Yeah, but I mean, I his his big selling point is he's got this big great arm to throw the football and he looked like shit throwing the football. Yeah. I just, I want to buy into him and I, I watched yesterday, yesterday's game with an open mind thinking, you know, we'll see what happens. He's going against a, a decent defense. Um, that's well coached. My boy, Jim Leonard. Guy, yeah. has some guys who are fringe NFL dudes pretty much every year. And then you, you'll get the, the occasional dude who just goes over the top, like a TJ Watt. Uh-huh. So, so I was interested to see what happens. Um, he just seemed blocked on his first read the whole game. That pick that he threw to the blitzing linebacker was painful. Absolutely that was the, painful. The Sanborn pick, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like the dude's right in your face, and like you are like, locked into that one receiver. And like, I totally get that some plays have a, a one receiver read, but like you got to have enough football perception and intelligence that like when that read isn't there you either need to to just eat the sack or you need to figure out a way to get rid of the ball and just move on to the next play like you can't do that though no it um i just came away from it yesterday just not feeling that dude no and i tried but um you mentioned that you know coaching is probably part of the problem it's a culprit in what's going on with him but i don't know like yeah he's got a big arm but you compare 
what he did to how Trevor, how fast Trevor Lawrence scans the field, like when he was playing Ohio State on Saturday night. And I love how decisive that guy is. You know, like when he goes ahead and he finds he finds the um going through his read and his progressions, like when he finds his guy, I mean, like he is just he sets his feet and he just unloads. So, yeah, I mean, I don't the, know. the maddening part about Herbert is that one, he's been there for four years and like the growth and progression just hasn't really happened. And what's crazy about that is like he just won scholar athlete of the year for college football. Like he, he, that supposedly he's the smartest college football player in the country, you know, in the classroom. And like, you, you're not smart enough and you don't know things well enough and you can't put things together well enough on the field to not make stupid turnovers and, and, you know, have some consistency. Yeah. Like, I mean, I want to like him, uh, but I just, um, I don't know. I'm just not really feeling it. Uh, you know who I was feeling last night? in terms of watching quarterback prospects. Jake Fromm had some pop last night. He threw the ball well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you got the upside Jake Fromm game. Again, statistically not sexy. Um, I think it was a, a 60% night, you know, 250-ish yards and two touchdowns. Um, no turnovers, took care of the ball, did what he needed to do with a, a cast of no one. Um, yeah. He, the only guy that he had is, um, who's that that young receiver that's really good for them? Uh, Pickering, yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Pickens is is really good, um, and I mean, he essentially got most of his production through Pickens. But like, when that's all you got, that's all you got. DeAndre Swift had one carry for two yards, so like, uh, he, he threw to four dudes last night. He threw to a tight end, George Pickens, and uh, Matt Landers, because um, that's all he had. Everybody else is dead or not playing or whatever. Not to mention both of his offensive tackles didn't play because they're going on to the draft. Um, so at the end of the day, again, I think I think Fromm's a good football player. I think there will be a team that'll really enjoy what he brings to the table, stability-wise, leadership-wise. Um, and hopefully somebody recognizes that there's upside for him as a starter that isn't going to be the guy that that carries your team. Uh, but if you have the the pieces to the puzzle, he can definitely get your team where it needs to go. <clears throat> if we punt to 2021, taking a quarterback, and it comes down to you can take Tua, or I mean, you might have a chance because I mean, obviously none of this is assumed or just given. You could have Tua. You could have Trevor Lawrence. You could have Justin Fields. Who would you take? Um, they have two first round picks, so I would take two of those three. No, Interesting. But, but seriously, just, just absolutely had your bets. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it gets tough because Tua is the, the definitive guy in this draft class. Even even with Joe Burrow, Tua is the guy that I'd prefer. Um, I mean, if Tua, the the risk for Tua is that he needs to get through next year without any injuries, then. Because if he gets one more injury, like, I don't even know if teams are going to touch him in the first round. Um, so that's a that's a huge risk for him there. Um, but at that point, I mean, I think I think you got to go Lawrence. Lawrence has been so good, even when he had a funk, like you know, he had a rough start to this year. He kept Clemson in it. He brought him back. He put up, still put up really good numbers. And then in their uh, their playoff game, he showed that. He has the skill set and tools that no matter the situation, 
he can carry your team. Like he's shown that he can be a franchise type of guy. Um, I think Justin Fields has shown you a lot of the same things, uh, but his knee was shot for that playoff game. So, yeah, that that ended up being a sprain. Yeah, but still, that that knee brace was so big and bulky, and he t- talked about how much he hated it. Oh, I mean, like to a sprains, that's no no walk in the park. Um, man, I would. I don't know, just for some reason, and I hate Ohio State, but just watching Justin Fields play, I'm like, damn, dude. I love that guy's game. Um, it's gonna be an interesting year next year, provided we we punt on it and we just, you know, we don't take Justin Herbert at five. Um, I will say that some of the throws Justin Herbert made yesterday were just that one what was it was it to uh the H back? Yeah. That guy just flat out dropped. Yep. That could um, if Wisconsin wasn't too busy dumping their pants in that game, that could have been lethal because that was, I think that was a third down throw that that guy just outright just biffed. So I don't know. I wanted to like Justin Herbert so much and I, I like some, it's interesting. There are some developmental guys in this draft who could, they could be studs. They could be not studs. And I mean, you're th- talking about, you know, Jordan Love's going to be on that list. Justin Herbert. Uh, ease in season, as everyone apparently likes to call him. Yeah, so. I mean, and the thing is, is for me, like, I guess there's a chance that you have teams in the teens, uh, Tampa Bay, Indy, the Raiders, that could take um, Jordan Love. But like, if if I'm a team considering Justin Herbert for the upside of the tools that he has, Jordan Love really has a lot of the same tools, but like. You won't have to take him top 10 unless you want to. Um, and then on top yeah. of that, too, like, with he, at least he's only had two or three years of really trying to play college football and put it together of, like, there's some things that you need to clean up. And he's shown that he's been able to clean up some of it. We're just on Herbert's spent four years just not improving in the departments that he needs to. Um, so I would rather take – I'd rather pass on Justin Herbert at five easily and shoot your shot at 18 on uh, Jordan Love. So Yeah. I'm going to ask you some... Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot and just ask you some rapid-fire questions here. Oh, God. Just, I know. Your uh, your response to this is to... And disgust. Your disgusted tone is usually what I want to do with. Okay. So, well, let's say you're making the pick at five. You get to be Chris Greer. All right. Now... We mentioned Judy's on the board. Is there any any way that you just say, in a way, I'm going best player available here, and I'm just going to go pair Jerry Judy with Devontae Parker? Yeah, I mean, I think it... it see, I'd love to say the same. It goes for C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy, but I, I don't know if C.D. Lamb's as good of a compliment to, to Parker as uh, Jerry Judy would be, because Jerry Judy can do some damage from the slot, too. Um, it was it what playoff game was it? Was it the Georgia one where he ran that that slot sluggo and just annihilated uh, J.R. Reed? Like and J.R. Reed's a pretty good safety. Um, but like uh, if if you're at five and Jerry Judy is the best guy on your board, I have no problem with you going BPA there and taking Jerry Judy. I think that was the SEC championship game last year, wasn't it? I, I just I feel like I remember it being against Georgia and J.R. Reed getting toasted. Yeah, and he he had a big game, I think, against Oklahoma too, if I recall correctly. 
um, as he should, because, you know, the guy is an absolute freak. I don't use that term often. So, all right. So, and there's a reason why I mentioned Jerry Judy and not CeeDee Lamb, because I agree with you. I think Jerry Judy is the the perfect compliment, the way he can, he can play inside or out. Um, the way he's, when you're that sharp of a route runner, you're going to go ahead, you're going to take a lot of heat off off the other guy. And when the other guy is Devontae Parker, who's coming off a career year, I like that. Okay, next. Suppose you want to take an offensive tackle mm-hmm. and all of them are on the board. Which guy would you take at five? Um, I'm definitely not taking Jedrick Wills because that's a whole bunch of bullshit right there. Um <laughs> So step, How dare you? Yeah, step one. Um, I, I love some of the people out there on draft Twitter and stuff. You know, we were talking about the draft network guys. They do some good work, but. I love those guys. That it ain't it. Um, so realistically, at that point, you're talking Andrew Thomas or um, Tristan Wirfs. I, I'd have to say Andrew Thomas. Um, I think if they're going spready uh, with Chan Gailey, I think Tristan Wirfs feels a little bit better with athleticism there. Um, but I hate that whole, yeah, let's just move them to left tackle. It'll just magically happen. Um, and like the Eagles have run a decently open system. Um, and again, I keep comping Andrew Thomas to Peters there. And while he's not the sexiest offensive tackle, he does everything really, really well. Um, so again, if, if they're at five and they just say, we're going to get an offensive tackle, we're going to start building out the line. That's fine with me. It's insane to me that 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 trade that sent uh, Peters from Buffalo to Philadelphia was over 10 years ago. Yeah. And not only that, but he's still playing at a high level. Which is just crazy. I mean, like he's been hurt often. That's one thing. But I mean, the guy's just been a, an absolute warrior. Um, kind of piggyback this question onto what we just uh, discussed. Uh, discussed would you rather take an offensive tackle at five or roll the dice and take one at 18 or perhaps even with the houston pick i think 18 is going to be an ugly area for offensive tackles um i think i think you got your top two guys that are really hot with thomas and Wirfs. um and then i think the sweet spot starts kicking in back around 25 in that area um I think Jedrick Wills is fine at that point. Um, a guy that you're going to hear a lot of names about at this point because people are coming back around on him when they were hot in the summer on him is uh, Makai Becton from uh, Louisville. He reminds me a lot of Orlando Brown coming out of Oklahoma, which is super funny because people bitched and complained that Orlando Brown was too big and not athletic enough when that man gave up like zero sacks in his career at Oklahoma. Um, and he's been perfectly fine for Baltimore, obviously. Um, that guy is the ultimate combine cautionary tale as far as I'm concerned. And we yep. said this at the time. We, and that, I mean, we're, no, we're no prognosticators on this, on this show for the most part, outside of a couple of things. But that, all that dude did in Norman was just roll people. Literally all he did. Yeah. And then he goes to the combine and people are like, he's too fat. His... Because what he he weighed in at what did three? I'll look. His weight, I'll his look quick. Weight was up there. I'm trying to remember. It was a big number. I think I think he act, 
I think he actually slimmed down for the combine. I think he came in at like 345-ish yeah. or something like that. Let's see. Yeah, combine weight six six eight three forty five, um, and but the, the, okay, right now, um, but Kai Beckton is I think he's listening at like three sixty or something like that. Oh, that's a big boy. Uh, yeah. He, what I was gonna say about or, or Zeus or Lando Brown yeah. was he goes to the combine and then his forty time was I don't know is five something what five and a half five, it might have been more. Yeah, it was it was bad. And people are just like, oh, the, and then he's quitting on the combine. This guy's worthless. He's not going to be any good. And all he is now is just an absolute wrecking crew in Baltimore. Mackay Becton's so. weight on Louisville's site is 369, which is pretty nice. Um, but outside of that, it's not nice. Yeah, that's... Uh, so that's, hopefully he drops a little bit because he, he carries it pretty well, though. I, I don't know how much you've seen of him, but like he carries it pretty well. I'm not... I'm certainly not advocating for just to draft enormous guys, but when when the tape says one thing and then one weekend and spandex says another, maybe, mm-hmm. go, with the, maybe go with the tape. Yeah, and, and I mean, outside of those two guys, there's also going to be guys like Josh Jones from Houston that'll be in consideration. He's he's pretty raw, but he's he's got a great build. He's 6'7", 310, moves really well. Um, and then uh, Austin Jackson from USC and other guys in that 6'5", 6'6", 315. Um, he's had a good year. Um, would have been Alex Leatherwood, but probably well, yeah. not. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I think if you're targeting an offensive lineman with 18 or 25, it's one of those top tier centers, to be honest, or at least in my opinion. Um, I think they provide more value there, uh, especially if you're looking to bring in a uh, young quarterback soon that you want to build that that connection between them early. So you just eliminate those problems out the gate. Um and then I, I think with that first pick in the second round, that's that's a really good place to start looking offensive tackle. I I think that's also where it hurts finishing fifth because we also we're not making the fifth pick of the second round. We have to wait for no. We have I to wait for Chargers in Carolina. Now. Yeah, so that hurts for sure. Yeah, um, but you have to figure they're going to be moving around anyway. I mean, yeah, they're playing sure. with monopoly money right now in terms of their draft picks. So I don't know. We'll see. Hell, I wouldn't be shocked um, depending on how the, the back end of the first round finishes up. I wouldn't be shocked to see them take four people in the first round if they really want to. I think they, they got yeah. the firepower to do it. If there's a guy that you want to take at, you know, 30, 31, 32 to get that fifth year option on, um, you know, say, I mean, hell say, say there is a quarterback that they want to give a go on. Um, with questions on long, long term, you know, a, a Jalen Hurts, uh, a Jake Fromm, uh, say if love falls that far um, and you want to secure that fifth year option just in case you get two years in, you're like, holy shit, we hit it. Um, that could be an option. Or if they, they don't use one of those first three picks on a running back and say, you know what, we we want to pick one of these top tier running backs. We want to have the rights to them for five years and then move on from them. That's That's something that they could look at too. We'll get to that in a second because that's actually one of my questions. All right, next one. Would you take Jeffrey Okuda at five or would you wait for the 18th or right now it's the 25th pick? It's 
that one's subject to change though. And if you do wait for a later pick, who would you take? Yeah, I mean, if I'm taking a corner and I'm really set on taking a corner, um, if Akuda's available at five, I think that's your your better bet. Um I at eighteen and twenty-five, there's the the second tier of these corners of um Christian Fulton, Trayvon Diggs, um, Jalen Johnson, uh Jay Henderson. Yeah, CJ Henderson. Um, you know, there's a couple guys Paul there. Tredebo. Paul Sanadibo, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't really love any of those guys at 18 or 25. I wouldn't be upset with any of them. Um, but I think 18 or 25, if you're going defensive back, uh, there's going to be some safety guys there that are much more worth it. So if you want a corner and Okuda's there at five, I think you shoot your shot there. Um, otherwise, I think you punt. And I think this is a pretty good safety class where you could pick up a guy in the the – late second with that second round pick or third round um, or even on day three. You never know. And I mean, Nick Dita did play relatively well this year. If he was your number two corner next year, that wouldn't be the most painful thing. Can we get him a better number though? No, no. He's got to rock a trash number for the rest of his life. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I, I hate trash cornerback numbers in the forties and stuff, but like he's, he like as an, undrafted free agent you know he just needs to wear an ugly number just to remind people i thought 41 was pretty cool like when byron maxwell yeah was wearing 41 is acceptable what's your least favorite defensive back number though least favorite defensive back number um i have one in mind where every time i see it i'm like i hate this number i think it would have to be 46 to be honest i just i don't know i most of the other 40 numbers i can get on board with the 30s i i'm fine most of the time that's a a good safety number um and a fine corner number but 46 is kind of ugly 46 48 and 49 uh 46 and 36 are the numbers where i just every time i see a defensive back wearing them i'm like god why Nah, Tony Lippett made 36 kind of cool. Yeah, I, I think that was my my issue when he was wearing it. I was just like, come on, dude. Yeah. Uh, uh, thir- cor- you don't really see a lot of corners wearing numbers in the 30s anymore. No, not anymore. The 20s are the sexy way to go. They've always been the sexy numbers for corners. I think because uh, like Lonnie Johnson rocks like 32, and that's pretty cool. Occasionally, 31's I, like- my favorite corner number. Uh, ever since um, Al Harris, I loved 31 for just corners that smack you at the line of scrimmage yeah uh like it was him and speaking of corners wearing 30s because he wore 31 and then mike mckenzie wore what 34 yep those guys are total hooligans at the line yep. of scrimmage but you know they did a good job um bryce all wears 34 yep so there's that um okay interesting uh my last question Suppose you're going to take a running back. I, uh-huh. It can be what pick. It doesn't matter. It can be the Texans pick. They're all on the board. Who's your guy? For a Chan Gailey type of system, um, my 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 running backs are going to sort through. I keep shifting who is my favorite guy at this point. Um, but in a, a Chan Gailey system, I think at that point, my primary pick would be Travis Etienne. Um, I think he he reminds me a lot of an Alvin Kamara kind of guy. 
um, that definitely runs the ball with speed and one cut and go, um, but also provides you a little bit more in the passing game than most people will expect. Um, but th- at the same time, I wouldn't be upset with DeAndre Swift at that point too. Uh, he, he didn't get used in the passing game as much, but he, he can do it. Um, but the other, the other two guys that are in that top tier, I think are, um, JK Dobbins and, um, Jonathan Taylor. Uh, but Jonathan Taylor's got miles on him. Uh, so that's going to be the big question when it comes to him. And he has ball security issues too, which people don't really recognize and remember. I know he fumbled yesterday. It was a big one too. Uh, okay. I think we should probably fold this one up for tonight and we can continue because I, we're not going to talk draft too much more. I'm kidding. That's all we're going to talk about <laughs> coming up here. Literally well, consume our be- lives. Before we do wrap it up, we got the news tonight about Zach Thomas being a finalist for uh, hall of fame. Finally. Yeah. It's about time. Yeah. I mean, oh. the dude has the, the credentials. He's what? Seven time pro bowler, five time first team all pro. My go-to Zach Thomas story, just in terms of like growing up. So I remember there's in my neighborhood, there's a kid who was probably four years older than me. And he used to always make fun of me for being a Dolphins fan. And he always thought that like Dan Marino was like a jackass and everything. And then I remember I saw him one time a couple of years later and he's wearing a Dolphins hat. And I was like, Hey, nice hat. You jag. Like what in the hell? Like I, thought you uh you hated the dolphins and he's like nah man they have zach thomas that guy's awesome and i was like huh <laughs> that's that's what converts you to zach thomas that's awesome i was, I was just i was, thought that was so interesting that like literally it just took them getting on an absolute second level hammer like zach thomas to go ahead and sway this dude so there you go zach should have been in there immediately i don't know why he's been overlooked it yep. you know he's gonna he's gonna go down in history as your classic undersized middle linebacker you know they're not they're not often built like that anymore i mean denzel perryman's the only guy i can think of in the league who's a linebacker under six feet i mean bobby wagner's right at six feet there which is funny because i always think he's taller than that he's not he's he's a little guy too but i mean zach thomas is fifth all time for tackles um it's then that's like yeah. individual tackles not even like total tackles right and people forget i i think people do forget that he was defensive rookie of the year in 96 oh man his first game because they opened the season against the patriots that year and who was that guy he eventually became our wide receivers coach sean jefferson yeah i think yep. sean jefferson was playing for the patriots and i remember like zach thomas just erased him on a play and I remember thinking, like, who in the hell is this guy? Because I remember watching that game and thinking, who is this dude? Yeah, Zach and I Thomas. mean, essentially, he transitioned Jack Del Rio from playing to uh, moving into coaching, too. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, yeah, Del Rio was supposed to be the guy. Yep. So, and then Zach Thomas shows up out of Texas Tech, and it's like, nope, we're not going to need you. So, and he knew it, too. So... All right, let's go ahead and let's call for tonight. Yep. Thank you to everyone for joining us and listening to us babble about draft stuff as we consider our 2020 NFL draft Fantasia. It's going to get weird if uh, Tua is not a part of it. We'll know Monday. Yep. 
as to as to what's going on there. So in the meantime, my name is Keith. For Zach, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.